This is the Key to Authority podcast, episode number 48 with Graham Harvey. Welcome to the Key to Authority podcast, where it is all about helping you unlock the secrets of becoming the go-to expert in your industry. And here is your host, Janish Pandya. Being an authority in your field is about getting known for what you do, why you do it, and how you do it. And till now, we've covered quite a bit of the what and the why, and also some of the how. But the guest I bring on today covers a bit more in depth about the how of the customer service and the customer experience part. Most of the people, most of the business owners, spend a lot of time and effort in acquiring new customers. And once they've acquired them, they kind of forget them, or they kind of let them go, or they kind of just leave them as it is, as if the time and money they've spent on acquiring them is not worth spending more on actually retaining them or spending the time and effort in serving that customer so that that customer brings in referrals. And those are some of the things we talk about in today's show with Graham Harvey. In today's episode, Graham shares the key to designing a standout customer experience along with the formula of the six senses of service and how that impacts the journey of a customer and along with a lot more in terms of the mindset that goes into the designing of the customer experience and also what needs to be done and how it has to be approached. Graham is regarded as one of Australia's foremost thought leaders on service design, customer experience and relationship marketing and is also currently the WS State President of Professional Speakers Australia. Commencing his consulting practice in 1986, he continues to work as a professional speaker and business coach throughout the Asia-Pacific region, guiding organizations and coaching individuals on growing their business by achieving greater clarity of future and developing innovative customer experience and relationship marketing strategies. And trust me, some of the things he shares Though they are simple, when applied, can make massive, massive results and massive difference in the bottom line. So, without further ado, here is Graham Harvey. Hey Graham, welcome to the Key to Authority podcast. I've caught up with you now a couple of times at the Professional Speakers Australia meeting here in Perth, but originally Paula Smith uh, introduced us over email. We got connecting and you'd invited me to come along to speak at Professional Speakers and I got to find out more about what you do in the space of customer service and the experience you help people create and make that memorable so that the businesses get more customers and they love the businesses. So I thought, let's get you on the show, pick your brains on that, and get from there. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Janice. Well, nice to be here. So Graham, where did your journey start in becoming an authority in customer experience and customer service? I guess it goes back to late 70s when I first attended uh, a couple of, uh, I guess, motivational seminars. The first one I ever saw was a guy called Joe Brasich, who uh, I'm not sure whether he's still alive or not. That was in the late 70s. Uh, he's originally from Kalgoorlie, but he visited um, uh, New Zealand. Um, and I guess that sort of, in hindsight, was the first seed of thinking, oh, this is an interesting industry. And then I moved to Perth from New Zealand in 1982. And in 86, I purchased a, a distributorship for an American company called Success Motivation Institute, which... Uh, we used to basically sell um, nice flash satch or briefcases full of motivational tapes and magazines um, and manuals. 
which covered things such as personal goal setting, sales management, time management, um, all sorts of different things. And I had a team of uh, 16 sales reps working for me in an office out of South Perth. So I had four years with, uh, with SMI. And then in 1990, um, having lost everything in the recession and, you know, it was when interest rates were about 23% or whatever, I decided to go out on my own. So in uh, July 1990, I created a company called, a little practice called uh, Quantum Results. And that was it. And it was shortly after that that I joined what was then National Speakers Association of Australia. And it pretty much, in those days, it was um, training, it was business training, and it covered um, you could almost get away with being two or three textbooks ahead of your audience. So in those days, it was pretty much customer service, sales training, time management, goal setting, communication skills. Um, uh, and But like a lot of businesses over time, I got more focused. And I'm one of those people who I guess has always been service oriented. I grew up with my folks owning um, small business and um, they, you know, I can remember Dad had a big motor garage, and I can always remember him sort of getting up at three o'clock in the morning to go and look after after clients. And so I guess that service ethic has always been with me right from um, you know when I was a young kid. So, and I'm one of those people that I um, I enjoy taking care of people, um, but I also get extraordinarily pissed off when I see people <laughs> not being taken care of as well. So one of the things I say sometimes is either. Um, you're either driven by your passion or you're driven by the things that really annoy you. And um, poor customer service is just something that I, I struggle to tolerate. So I thought, well, you know, at the end of the day, let's go change the world and teach the world on how to you know, provide good service for people. And interesting thing is um, I have lots and lots of empirical evidence to support it. That the more you take care of your customers, um, the healthier the bottom line. So it's um you know, why would you, why would you not provide better customer service to your customers? And as you mentioned, like I was just interviewing earlier on uh, someone else where they mentioned that if you want to find what pushes you or drives you, find something that pisses you off. And that's the opposite of it. And absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So then what do you see in customer service that makes you jump and up, jump up and down with excitement? When I actually get to experience it, what I call great, a great customer experience. I recently visited uh, an office, some professional offices in, in West Perth. And I was asked, um, I got there on you know, five minutes early, as I endeavor to do, because I think on time these days is five minutes early. That that in itself is a demonstration of, of customer service being early or on time. And I got there and I was asked if I would like a, a cup of tea or coffee. So, and, and I always accept because um, to me how, well, whether or not you're asked and then how the cup, how the tea or coffee is then presented to you, to me is always a pretty good indication of how service focused an organization is. So uh, this particular day I was, I asked if I'd like a coffee and they said, what side of coffee would you like? And I said, just a, a white coffee would be fine. They said, fantastic, grab a seat. Um, the person I was um, waiting to see said, I'll, they'll be out shortly. Um, and about two minutes later, um, a staff member came out and it was a plastic, you know, a really nice sort of contemporary white plastic tray. On that tray was a single plunger um, brewed coffee. 
with a nice pristine white cup and saucer. There was a small bowl with some uh, sugar cubes in it. There was also a small jug with some milk in it. And also there was a saucer with some um, biscotti and a couple of Florentine um, biscuits on it. Now, that to me uh, demonstrates a company that understands what providing a great customer experience is. But the joke of it all is, and this is one of the things I say in my workshop, it takes no longer to actually make a cup of plunger coffee than it does to make a cup of crappy instant coffee. I have a personal mission. It's to get rid of instant coffee off the planet. <laughs> and uh, I've got uh, lots of uh, anecdotal followers. But um, that to me is just an example because sometimes I've asked for a cup of coffee and I've been presented with this, you know, trucker's mug with some crass, sexist, chauvinistic, you know, slogan on the side. And, it, uh, you know, in, and in it has probably got something crappy like, you know, international roast or some equally, you know, crap <laughs> instant coffee. And it's just, it's, it's just appalling. It just says so much about an organization. Um, as something as simple as offering and then providing a cup of coffee to a, to a visitor to your business. So then from a cup of coffee, that's, I guess, the very, very initial if someone's visiting your office, if you have one. Uh, so what's the extreme, extreme example, like where obviously you have had a lot of experience, so where you've seen an exemplary example of customer experience that you would just went, wow. Um, I guess I've had many over the years. Where I used to get my car serviced in Perth, um, I would always get a phone call seven days after the event, making sure that uh, everything was okay with my car, that it was serviced properly. Uh, the place that did it used to always um, vacuum the inside of the car. The car always came back, um, you know, spot. It always being washed and cleaned and vacuumed. Um, and again, that follow-up call seven days later to make sure that everything um, was, you know, done to my satisfaction. Now, the joke of it is. I would just automatically go back year after year after year after year. I couldn't have cared less what it cost because I know they actually genuinely cared about taking care of uh, care of my car. Um, you know, there's, the other day I stayed in a hotel up in Perth. There was obviously a um, an airlock in one of the pipes. Um, I rang the next morning because uh, I've been sort of woken two or three times during the night. I rang the next morning. Um, and it was instantly, I was thanked for bringing it to their attention and I was immediately, um, I was going to stay in there for an extra couple of nights. I was immediately provided with not my asking. All I was doing was reporting this uh, maintenance issue. I was immediately provided an upgrade. I shifted to a, you know, room, you know, spa suite and everything else. I mean, it's those little things that, um, that organ, it just demonstrates that businesses are on, uh, on the top of their game. Okay. And then, Graham, what is the key to designing a standout customer experience then? Okay. So one of the things I talk about in my workshops is I ask people in the audience if they drive a car, to which obviously most put up their hands. And I ask the question, for how many of you did that motor car just suddenly manifest itself out of the ether and appear in your driveway one day? Um course, no one puts their hand, although I did have a lady recently who put a hand up and I said, you're having a land, aren't you? She said, no. She said, last Christmas, I was uh, blindfolded by my husband, taken to the front door. <laughs> blindfold was taken off on Christmas Day. And there was my new car sitting proudly in the driveway. So I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to pay that. But so generally <laughs> speaking, in the, when we, we don't, none of us seem to have a problem in understanding the whole design 
and construction process of a tangible good. So, for instance, the car that we drive, at some point, it was just an idea in someone's head. Then it became some scratchings on a piece of paper. It then went through a design process, probably into a clay molding shop. It then went through a you know, mass production, came off a production line, got put on a ship, came across the seas, was unloaded, transported to the your um, motor vehicle dealer. You went down there, handed over some money. They gave you the keys. You drove it home, and there it is sitting in the driveway. So we don't have a problem in understanding that whole design, construction, manufacture, delivery process. But many organizations struggle to understand that what smart businesses do is that they apply exactly the same robust process to the design and construction of an intangible service. So we need to, so one of the key things is in first instance is we need to take time out to actually design the total customer journey from beginning to end. So as an example, um, one of the, so I talk about the, the hundreds of individual touch points that occur at any given business on any, any given day. And there are literally hundreds and we'll probably spend more time shortly looking at the, what I call the six senses of service. So we, uh, we need to understand the messages that our customers get as part of their experience based on what they see, what they hear, smell, taste, touch. And of course, how they're also equally how they emotionally connect or feel about your product or, or service offerings. So as an example, um, one of the first touch points of any business is finding out the contact details of the people that you actually want to get in touch with. I was sending out an email this afternoon and it was amazing the difficulty that I had going online, trying to find the contact details of people, people I know, people I know where they work but trying to find their phone number online, trying to find their personal email address online. One of the things I talk about is just make it easy for your customers to do business with you. Well, it's pretty bloody hard to do that when you can't even find a contact telephone number or contact email address. So one of the things I suggest is for everybody, on your homepage, put your phone number. I mean, it's not a big, it's not a big ask. So... Um, so that's the whole thing. You've actually got to design the whole design every step along that customer journey from, from the original point of contact through the, through the sales process, through the delivery process, um, right through to the end where hopefully you are delighting them by creating a point of difference, uh, in either the product that you're selling or the service that you're providing, a point of difference that has you stand out from the pack because the reality of it is, our competition today is not a block away, it's a click away. And what is it that we're doing to create this, this point of difference uh, where we treat our customers special, where what they get from us can't be procured from anywhere else? And it's with those sorts of thoughts in mind that you can then actually start the whole design process. So in terms of taking out the time from beginning to end, you talked about the six sense of services. So the yep. first one was finding out the contact details of the people. Now, yeah, well, that sort of comes under the, the first, which is the visual. So what are the, what are the messages? What are, what's the component part of the experience based upon what it is that customers see? So because I'm, I'm one of those, like, I don't like giving out my phone number, especially on my website or so, but I have a contact form or my email address is available. So where do you draw the line? Because, you know, sometimes people do spam it and the all the bloody directories and things like you get the calls from 
all the different places. So where do you draw the line? Like, would you want to put it as clear as possible or at least on the contact page? Or no, I'm one of those people. I get really annoyed when people don't put their um, mobile numbers on business cards, where they don't put their personal email addresses on business cards, where you go on. See, to me, I, uh, if I go on to a business, uh, I was like another one, I was over the weekend, I went on to a business site it had all the directors. It had provided all the directors' uh, mobile numbers. It had all the directors' personal email addresses. That, to me, is a sign of a business who's really keen about making it easy for their customers to do business with them. Yes, you might get a few extra spam and everything else, but at the end of the day, do you want customers to do business with you? Because, quite frankly, if people start to get a little bit pissed off that they can't find your telephone number or email address, you've lost them and they've gone forever. Okay, I'll take that advice because, yeah, I was always like in terms of when I was told it's like, yep, you'll get robots spammed and stuff. So I'll when because I'm going through a web design right now, so yep. I'll make sure that my number is on top or at least visible and clearly enough. So huh, yep. I appreciate yep. that. So yep. the first key was the first sense was visual. So what else includes in the visual side of things then? Well, there's so many things at the visual. First of all, um, one of the things I ask is um, the other thing I talk about in business is there's so much we can learn just by observing the businesses around it. So, as an example, I ask clients or ask workshops, um, you know, explain to me what the Google homepage looks like. And of course, people say, well, it's got the name Google, it's got the search bar, uh, and that's basically it. So, one of the things that I see in business on websites, on business cards, uh, even in shop windows, even in, in retail spaces, is this just way too much clutter. So one of my key messages is that less is more. I talk about the difference, say, between a, an upmarket uh, shoe shop like Prada or, or, or Gucci versus spend less. So one of them's got, you know, one pair of shoes in the window and the others have got, you know, a thousand pairs. You know, again, it's not about business models being right or wrong, but which one do you want to learn from? If you go and look at the, you know, the cup, you know, companies like, um, you know, Apple and stuff, you go to an Apple store. Generally, there's only one product on display in the window and their stores are, are very simple, uncluttered, and it's easy to find things. So one of the first things is making sure is to keep business clean, simple and, and uncluttered and get rid of all the visual, uh, visual pollution. Uh, a classic example is a, is a suburban drive through bottle shop. You drive in and there's a, sign for this six-pack and a sign for this bottle of wine and this bottle of scotch and so on and so forth. And so you might be, you know, bombarded with 50 or 60 different signs. My question is, <laughs> how many of those do you read? Answer, none. So why put them there in the first place? It'd be better to have one or maybe two prominent signs, which is going to garner everyone's attention, uh, and it might have some impact. But just by deluging people with signs all over the place, um, it, it's, it's to- it defeats the purpose. Um, the other thing I talk about is the colors. Colors have meaning. What are the what are the best colors for your business? A lot of businesses just simply go with the colors that their graphic designer has chosen, and yet the actual meaning of the color is probably quite congruent, quite incongruent to their product or service. So, for instance, my own corporate um, uh, color is uh, is blue. Now, blue is about communication. It's about loyalty. It's about trust. It's congruent with who I am. It's about congruent with my message. Um, but then you've got other companies that say like John Deere, whose, whose tractors are all green. Now, green is obviously very congruent with agriculture and growth and crops and all those sorts of things. 
Um, you know, why Bank West currently have an orange is one of life's great mysteries because it just seems totally contrary to the message of a bank, unless it's about creativity and innovation, which, you know, if that's the case, then I can understand it. But again, so color is important. Talk about signs. Who are signs for? We drill down to things like the power of name tags and the upside benefit of those. Um, but having name tags that people can actually read. You see a lot of businesses have name tags, but they're useless because people can't read them from, um, you know, meters away. It's about the cleanliness, the rituals from the car parks and the buildings to, um, you know, the company vehicles, about having current magazines. Do your staff know how to smile using uniforms? Uh, you know, all the things that people see. Um, your, your, the opening hours is actually something that's visual. Um, so, again, even things such as encouraging your staff to move with purpose because, again, your customers are making, taking just dozens and dozens and dozens of messages away, albeit many of them subconsciously, based upon what it is that they are, are seeing, what they are confronted with. So cleanliness of shops and people, and there's just a thousand messages that, that get communicated based on what it is that we actually see. I love that example of less is more and obviously the Google and the Gucci products, that premium service. And again, yeah. it gets back to me to your coffee experience where that like the blender coffee is considered premium and it doesn't take that much of a difference of time to prepare and then bringing that tray and bringing those little biscuits. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I get, I, I love it. <laughs> And it costs, and the thing is, it doesn't cost any more. All it actually requires is a little bit of considered thought. That's all it takes. So then what's the next step? So what's the ne- after the sixth one? Yep. So second one. So then we've got the auditory. So what are the, you know, things like just manners, um, the conversations that we have with an earshot of customers? What's the background music that's playing either in an office or uh, a retail space? How do you select it? Uh, what are your customers listening to on hold? I had a classic in a workshop a few months back where a guy from the audience said, I've got to share this story, which he did. And he said, I was on hold to my travel agent <clears throat> who had the local radio station hooked up to the uh, to their telephone system. And he said, whilst I'm on hold, guess who I'm listening to? I'm listening to an ad for the travel agent down the street who I'd actually forgotten all about. And he said, it's a bit of a no-brainer as to who I actually did my booking with. <laughs> so, so just silly. I mean, there's just silly things like that. So uh, learning how to listening and correctly pronouncing a customer's names, making sure that, you know, the, the, you know, one of the big questions I ask is, is what is the word on the street? How are you, how are your customers talking about you when you're not in the room? So that's a, yeah, that's a big one. Um, so again, all the, it's whenever the sound involved. So it's uh, places like the Ritz Carlton Hotel, uh, you know, arguably one, you know, the top hotel group in the world. In their training, they have a concept called language engineering. It's about making sure that their staff don't use certain words when they're dealing with their guests. So it's not about referring to guests as mate or buddy or pal or whatever. And when someone says thank you, it's about saying things like you're welcome rather than being dismissive or some colloquial thing like no worries. Um, <laughs> so, again, it's about choosing, and I'm not saying that applies to every business, but it's about consciously choosing the language that you want your staff to use when they are engaging with your your customers. Now, whether they be customers or clients or patients or guests or passengers, whatever name you use uh, in terms of the customer for your, for your business. 
So that's the sound. There's obviously a lot more there as well. Then we get on to the smell um, because smell is the, of all the senses, smell is the one that has the greatest recall. Um, so ask questions like, is your place of business, you know, stale or musty? Well, you're the wrong person to ask because obviously we become immune to the smells around us. People who have dogs don't know that their house smells of dogs. People who smoke don't know that they stink of cigarette smoke. So we need to understand. You know, places like Singapore Airlines have their their own patented perfume. So wherever you engage with that airline on a plane, in a bus, in an office, the olfactory experience is is always the same. So I talk about and I work with a lot of clients in helping to decide and design the fragrance that's best, uh, that's most congruent with their with their product or their or their or their service. Um, the gustatory. Now we've talked a little bit about that with the with the with the coffee and and, and the biscuits. But a lot of people say, well, I'm a, you know I'm a professional service firm. What's you know what's food and um, beverages got to do with me? Well, I'm suggesting that has a lot to do because think about it. The chefs are the new celebrity superstars. How many different cooking programs are there on television these days? So people are eating out more. They are experiencing more taste. So all I'm saying is that whenever you have some event from as simple as a visiting client or it could be a sales promotion, it could be a stand somewhere, that whenever there is food involved, please take the time to give it some thought. So rather than just instant coffee and and some, you know, regular and some crackers. Get some, get a get a pod machine. You know, make some plunger coffee. Give people a good experience in terms of when it comes to um, comes to food and and particularly beverages. And it's not just about offering people tea and coffee either. Uh, some people don't drink tea or coffee. So, would you like a tea or coffee, or would you prefer a glass of cold water or maybe a fruit juice? It costs nothing to have a little, you know, have a bottle of fruit juice sitting in the in the fridge at your office to offer offer clients. Um, a good example, I have a, have a client who enjoys his coffee, except if you were to ask him, would he have a coffee, he would most typically say no. The reason is because he's Mormon and he doesn't drink caffeinated coffee, and it's just too complicated to ask the business if they have decaffeinated coffee. So he just politely says no. And yet, you know, he said on a couple of occasions where people know that he, um, he does drink decaffeinated coffee and they have it there, I mean, clearly they win brownie points by offering him a cup of decaffeinated coffee. Now, I'm not saying you have to go to that drink, but, but if you, but the businesses that do obviously reap the rewards of, of doing so. Um, the next area is the fifth one is the, what I call the somata sensory. So these are the messages that are received via the stimuli of touch. So it's understanding the most ideal temperature for your premises. Is it an office? Is it a, um, is it a retail store? Now, clearly, if you're selling hot house, house, hot house flowers, the temperature would be different if you were selling fresh fish. But again, in so, so many offices I see are just way too hot. Productivity starts to drop off at anything north of 24 degrees, and yet some offices are so hot. Um, so we need to understand these. Is the furniture that we've chosen, is it purposefully chosen? I have a, a client who is a, have a medical center in Perth. As a result of the work that we've done with them, we now have three, they have three levels of chairs in their waiting room because suddenly they realized that not all their patients were the same size. So they have some little chairs for little people called children. They have some regular chairs. And then they also have some slightly higher chairs, slightly tilted, that make it easier for older folks to get uh, in and out. It's just little things like that. If businesses have, you know, utensils that people use, uh, whether they be pens or if it's in a restaurant where there's you know, utensils or whatever it is, make sure 
that they are well-maintained and efficient. But one of the other things which is it always gets an interesting response in my workshops is there's no excuse for not providing your staff and customers with decent quality toilet paper. Again, just recently a client in a workshop said that she stayed at a $500 a night hotel in Sydney. She said, I will never go there again because it had single-ply toilet paper in the bathroom. She thought she thought it was the cheapest experience. You know, she said it was just appalling that a quality hotel like like that could make such a cheap shortcut by putting in, as she said, cheap, crappy toilet paper. Um, shower heads. You know, we've all stayed in places where we've jumped in the shower and the water's gone every which way except on us because the motel or the hotel doesn't have a maintenance program in place where it soaks the shower heads in CLR to decalcify the shower heads. So it's it's all the background systems that need to be in place that optimize the customer uh, experience. And another one is simply about, you know, teaching staff how to shake hands because there are just so many people out there who don't know how to shake hands properly. You know, particularly the wet, the you know, the limp wrists, spine crawl. I mean, it's just horrible to shake <laughs> the dead fish one. <laughs> oh, the wet fish handshake. I mean, there is is there anything worse on the planet than a wet fish handshake? <laughs> so that's the Samata Century. And then the sixth area is the emotional. So what does your place of business feel like? I I guarantee that most people have walked into a place of business, but not based on anything they saw or heard, smelt, taste, touched. They turn around and walked out. Why? It just didn't feel right. Sometimes we meet people and our gut tells us something doesn't add up here. Now, it's what's interesting these days is about 75% of purchases are all based on emotion. Very few of us are selling products or services on the bottom rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if anyone that's not selling basic food or shelter essentially is in the wants business. And because we're selling wants, well, those wants are essentially emotionally based. You know, someone might go and say that they need a $150,000 BMW. Well, they actually don't. They want it. So what they do is they make an emotional purchase and then they try and justify it rationally by, you know, de- <laughs> defending the money that they spent. So we talk, so what I say in this area is that customers today are extraordinarily skilled at reading the invisible. And when you think about you know, the power of relationship in business, relationships are built on things like trust, loyalty, respect. They're all invisible. And yet our customers, but customers and all of us are very, very skilled at understanding when there's a lack of trust, when the loyalty is being compromised or there's disrespect being shown. So one of the things I talk about is that whilst values may be intangible, they're not invisible because our customers today are very, very reading and that emotional content that emotional connection of how we make our customers feel special um, you know to create this environment where our customers love doing business with us it's all emotionally based and again we need to spend time designing that emotional component of our service or product um, delivery so I guess that sort of sums up how we go through you know the design process because at the end of the day, Great customer experiences happen by design. You know, people people don't go to Disneyland and have a good time just by accident. You know, everything from the people make their bookings to go through that is just the you know it's the experience. It's it's palpable, 
but nothing is left to chance. You know, from the way that people are trained to pick up paper off the pavement at Disneyland, it's all part of that Disney experience. And the reality of it is your customers can have that same experience at your place if you take the time to design it properly and deliver it with a degree of panache that your competitors aren't doing, and then you delight your customers by doing it just in a way that stands out from the rest of your com- your competitors. One, one of the biggest challenges, I believe, in business today is that business is drowning in a sea of beige. Everything's beige or grey. There's, there's not, not a lot of colour, and yet it actually doesn't take much to create that, that colourful difference so that your business does stand out from the rest. So, Graham, I loved how you mentioned that values may be intangible, but they're not invisible. So that just struck right out of me to like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in terms of we talked about businesses, people with offices and things like that, obviously small to medium businesses, but yourself, like me, other professional speakers, consultants, we're mainly individuals and stuff. So quite a bit of those kind of things like getting in touch or coming to the office does not happen. We kind of work from home. So how does all this translate to individuals? Because you've worked with a lot of professional speakers and the current president here. So what? how do you translate all this in terms of the six senses towards individuals' businesses? Um, I actually don't think there's any difference, Janesh. Janesh, I think it's just a, it's just a, a smaller version of all of the above <clears throat> because, again, we all, even if we're a single operator, we have our websites, we have our business cards. Sometime we meet people. Well, if you're going to meet people, you know, down the street, take them to a place that you know uh, has great service, great coffee, great food. You you don't have to be the provider of it, but you can take someone who does that, uh, making sure um, I'm just about to launch my new website. So it's understanding how that all works, having it having it designed in such a way that it resonates with uh with people and incorporates the things that I've I've just been talking about. When you send proposals out to, you know, prospective clients, um, make sure that, again, using the less is more principle. You know, take the time to really wordsmith your letters down so they have impact. As Mark Twain said, you know, many years ago, sorry about the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. It takes time to, you know, distill your message down to, um, to something that's simple but impactful and powerful. Uh, you don't want to have a proposal that goes to multiple pages that, that in reality no one's ever going to read. So again, that's just, so again, it's just simply, I actually don't think there's much difference between, um, in the stuff that we've talked about in terms of how it applies to a, a, um, a single operator home based business as it does to a, you know, a Commonwealth bank or a, uh, you know, a large construction company or something. Everything that we talk about is, is, is just as relevant. You know, in terms of, um, how staff look, I mean, we, we have our, um, you know, what is your corporate uniform that you have as, as an individual? Um, mine is sort of semi, semi casual. Uh, occasionally I might wear a suit. It would have to be an extraordinary extra special occasion for me to wear a tie because wearing a tie is just not who I am. So, why don't I wear a tie? You know, so again, that becomes part of your uniform as, uh, as well. So again, I have a, one of the things that I have, which will be available on my uh, website shortly is a 190 question customer service experience self evaluation questionnaire that enables people to go through 190 different questions 
drilling down into many of the things that we've just been talking about. So what are some of the questions? Because like in terms of small operators, individuals, like we're always struggling. We have little time on sales, marketing, this, that, everything. You kind of do it on your own. So how do you start that process? And obviously those 190 questions would help go through, distill that. And you say, as you mentioned, get some time out and really focus on designing this from scratch. Yeah. So again, the question, I mean, some of the questions clearly are more applicable to a multi-person business than a, than a single person. Um, uh, so I'm just picking some questions of random off it. So for instance, uh, does our corporate culture insist upon the highest standard of manners at all times? Another question, do we provide our customers a range of beverage offers, offerings, options, including juice and water when offering them a drink? Do we serve our customers proper plunger or espresso coffee and not the cheap instant variety? Do we have a spring water fountain available for both customers and staff? Have all our amenities, including furniture, been consciously selected to comfortably cater for our full range of customers? Are the magazines in our reception area the latest issues and are they in good condition? Do we subscribe to a daily newspaper or two or three different magazines solely for our reception area and are out-of-date magazines routinely removed? Do we do we place fresh flowers in our custom reception area on a regular basis? Do we have a box of toys for children of our customers in our reception area? Um, are our staff fully trained to use cash registers, credit card and FPOST equipment? Um, are our staff involved in the design or choice of uniform? Do we have explicit dress and grooming standards plus agreed policies and consequences in place for non-adherence? Flicking further forward, uh, do we deal with our customers face-to-face wherever possible? Do we use external microphones only for security reasons and not for taking orders from our customers? Um, do we have background music for our staff and customers and are the type and volume appropriate? Are the pictures and posters that hang on our walls appropriate. Do we have a staff notice board? Do we have a staff suggestion box? Does our company have an environmental conscience? Do we celebrate staff birthdays? So those are just a few picked at random out of a total 100 and 190 odd. Um, do we have a range of delivery options for our customers? Do our customers know what those delivery options are? Um, another, one, another one. Do we provide advanced driving lessons for our staff? <laughs> do we have a monthly customer newsletter? You know, do we have specially printed thank you cards? Um, do we regularly obtain testimonial letters from delighted clients? Do we show appreciation to both our internal and external customers? So there's just a few picked at random. There's 100 and, 190 different questions that uh, can that people can you know go through, and that a lot of them are just thought starters. It's not about sitting down and necessarily going from one to 190. But um, I have clients who might pick 10, and out of that they focus on a couple for for the next week because it's a uh, customer service is not just a training program that you do once today then forget about it for 10 years it's about again going back to the ritz carlton chain they spend 250 hours per employee in the first 12 months of being with the ritz carlton group Um, at the beginning of every shift they have what they call lineup and it's a 10 meeting 10 minute customer service meeting at the beginning of every shift in every one of their hotels around the world. These places don't get known for their service excellence just by accident. It's something that's embedded in their systems that they do on a daily basis. 
So that that's a behavior change and that's a mindset change. So in terms of approaching that, so obviously the good customer service gets you the referrals, gets you that word of mouth. So is there anything you teach people or you talk about how to instigate or quicken that process or get them in the right mindset? I guess what starts the process, Janish, is the fact that customer service starts in the boardroom. Um, if it's not embraced by senior management, then there is no point. I've had two or three instances over the years where I've been invited to uh, into a particular organization. Uh, we've started sort of setting up dates, and I always ask the question, who of senior management will be in the room? And on a couple of occasions I've had the answer come back, oh, no, this is just a program for our frontline staff. It's not for senior management. And I have walked away. I've said, unless this whole principle is embraced across the board and unless senior management are in the room and are on board, then it is a waste of time uh, running this program. I would be taking money from you on false pretenses and I'm afraid my ethics are just too strong to actually just take someone's money knowing that there's going to be no impact or lasting impact on the program because if you just do it with frontline staff, they take new ideas, new concepts back into an environment that is totally unaccepting, unaccepting of those new levels of learning. And in terms of then moving, let's say you've designed the customer experience and you've put in all that effort and stuff. So how do you start getting results? And in terms of the return on investment, you start seeing and obviously maximizing, getting more referrals and getting more word of mouth from that. It actually takes care of itself because the customers experience a heightened level of service, uh, a heightened level of attention. And at the end of the day, it's the word on the street. It's how our customers are talking about us that actually has the greatest impact. So one of the couple of things that I say is, you know, why have I been pushing this customer experience barrow for, for so long? Well, for two main reasons. First of all, I believe that customer experience is the single greatest predictor of business success. You cannot succeed in business long term if your customers are experiencing a less than enjoyable experience. And secondly, in this, you know, this world of beige, this world of sameness, I believe that delivering an, ex an exceptional, a standout customer experience is your number one competitive advantage. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the, um, that's the reality. So once the systems are in place, you actually get to see, I mean, if you look at, you know, why has Disneyland been around for so long? It's because everyone that goes there has a great experience. They go away, they tell their friends. And, you know, Disneyland itself does very little advertising. It's the people who were at the park last week that are telling the people who are at the park next week. And that's the same thing. You get, you know, top, top restaurants very rarely ever advertise. In fact, some of them, you know, you don't have a look at Jamie Oliver's restaurants around the world. Sometimes you have to wait weeks to get a booking. He doesn't advertise because the people, because they have such a great experience there, they go away and tell the world, and that's the that's the best advertising that there is, is the word of, word of mouth advertised from delighted clients because they become your ambassadors, your advocates to tell the world how wonderful you are. 
So not only do you get a greater return on your on the immediate investment, you save so much in terms of your advertising cost and everything else because your customers become your advertising advertisers. So in regards to that experience and things like so starting you start your mapping journey and you go through those questions, you go through those uh six senses, so then implementing them, are there quicker ways or processes of doing it, or is it just you have to take it one bit by bit? Um I mean like things you can do it as fast as possible, but essentially it's about getting up to speed as quickly as possible by designing it and making sure that you are attending to that detail um you know in in the moment um it's i'm just um just about to sh- just finding something here for you to have a, have a look at and that is the other thing too is the interesting the return on investment that people get by um investing in this whole whole area so for instance uh, i think it's watermark consulting in the us did some interesting research in looking at the comparatives between companies who were succeeding uh, there's, a, there's, an, a, there's, a, there's a rating system in America called the, the, the CXI, which is the Customer Experience uh, uh, Index. And what it is, it's about rating businesses based upon the, the experience that their customers report back. They compared where cus- companies appeared on this Customer Experience Index versus the total accumulated returns on the S&P 500. So they related customer experience to the returns on the stock market. And what they found was that they looked at the top tra- top 10 traded companies on the CXI uh, over a period of five years from 2007 to 2011. Now, that was pretty much due to the global um, economic turndown. Then they looked at the bottom 10 companies on the, uh, the CXI. What they found was that the top 10 companies – they had a total accumulated return over that period of time of plus 22.5%. The S&P 500 over that same four-year period was had a return total return of minus 1.3%. But what's interesting is that the laggards, the bottom 10 companies on that CXI, their accumulated returns were minus 46.3%. So what it does, and this is just one example of the uh, increasing empirical evidence that demonstrates the increased return on investment that businesses get by investing in delivering a superior customer experience to their customers. There's a there's a tangible bottom line benefit to doing so. And it's always about measuring. And as that research suggests that the shares, like even – through the global financial crisis, it only dipped like one percent, which is like in grand scheme of things is nothing. <laughs> yeah, it flatlined. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, Graham, in terms of starting out and as an action, where does one start? Obviously, to take them time. So, what is an action that a listener can take in designing that great customer experience? Okay. It starts off by, first of all, like a lot of, you know, as Michael Gerber says in the famous EMIF books, you need to take time out to work on your business rather than just being buried in it on a day-to-day basis. So the first thing is there is no shortcut to taking some time out away from the counter, away from the phones um, to do some good thinking time. And I just start, as I do sometimes with clients, 
for some flip chart and let's take apart the whole customer journey. How does a customer, how do customers get in contact with us? How easy is it for them to do that? You know, how do we decide, you know, who that, who they're dealing with? How do we make the inquiries? And so it's just stepping through step by step, all those steps along the, it's identifying all those steps along the customer journey. And then it becomes about how do we make that individual step part of the overall um, you know, customer experience. <clears throat> so if you take a place like Disneyland, you understand, you know, that there's a whole process that people, uh, how do they get in touch? How do they make their bookings? How do they get their tickets? Uh, how do they park their car? Can they get to the place? And the same thing, you apply it to a retail store. Uh, you know, where do people park? How do they get hold of us? What are our trading hours? So I guess the, the, the 190 point self-evaluation questionnaire is a pretty good starting point because it really forces you to drill down and ask some of those, you know, tough questions such as, you know, our trading hours. What are they? And who are they designed for? Are they designed for us? You know, the convenience of management and staff or are they genuinely designed for the convenience of our customers? I have a couple of retail clients who used to trade from nine to five and then they realized in the work that they did by talking to their customers and by their own figures that most of them very rarely ever did any business between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. in the morning anyway. So they now trade from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. because they're, a lot of their clients who finish, you know, office workers who finish at five call in and do business with them on their way home between 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. That's just a simple example of somebody taking the time out to ask a tough question. What are our trading hours? It's interesting across the state, I've got um, a number of local governments that work. Now, some of those local governments, as a work we've done, are now open from 8 a.m. till 6 p.m. There are others, I was talking to one the other day, that's open from 9 until 4. And I said, why do you close at 4? Oh, we need to cash up. Well, what a lame duck excuse that is. <laughs> you know, it's just silly stuff. So, so the questionnaire is a good, and then also um, uh, on my website, um, there's a copy of my book, which also has the original 125 questionnaire in it. But uh, it's about it works through all the you know 101 different strategies to um, to, to it incorporates many of the things that we've been talking about today. Oh, great, and those of you listening, make sure you go and go to Graham's website, and Graham will share the details uh, just in a minute. Yeah. But gra- grab the 190 questions and have a look. And even for those who are just individuals like myself, like Graham, like incorporate, just think of it in your business. So when Graham mentions about question about furniture or coffee, think about where do you have, I guess, your coffee meetings, which place, and things like that. That's correct, Graham, right? Correct, correct. I mean, things such as even um, even the supplies to us, as whether it's individuals, is what is the font size, what's the point size of the font that you use in your communication? Because a lot of businesses have older folk. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have all of your flyers in 14 or 16 point font, but there might be, you know, it's about having some of your brochures on a PDF file in 14 point font that you can actually print out if required and send to an older customer because it just makes it easier for them to digest the information that you're sending them. Now, I'm not saying that you do all your mass printings in 14 point, but again, just have have that available to do so. Just a, Just simple things like that. So that the, I see, I see sometimes where businesses, they spend all this money on, you know, wonderful glossy brochures, 
that are an eight and nine point font <laughs> that are totally unreadable by a fair percentage of their customers. So it's just a waste of time, a waste of money because someone hasn't thought through who's actually going to be reading the information that you're sending out. And it's the same thing. Like I think I was reading somewhere, uh, but it's, it's someone, somewhere, someone mentioned that 14 is the new 12. And it, it, it implies in the websites as well, because nowadays all the new websites, if you look, there's a lot of white space. There's yep. a lot of design elements that need that white space and the big elements and stuff. So my website, I think my normal text has 14 pixels as the normal font, as the reading text, yep. because it's much easier to read and much faster to browse through instead of little 10 or 12 pixels and you just have to squint at it and you're like because you're reading on mobile phones absolutely you've got to think of that as well yeah i mean you'll be as, you'll be across it more than i but i think it's up to sort of 65 percent of people now read their emails on a, on a mobile device yep I, I agree like even reading emails uh reading blogs listening to podcasts people like even this yeah people are listening to it on the go so yep. you have to think of all those kind of things and especially when you're talking about customer experience and stuff like that. And that's that's the point. It's having the time to think about who's going to be reading this, where are they going to be reading it. You know, those and those are by asking those questions, that then helps you in designing the best way of delivering your message, whether it's you know auditory auditory audio, video, um, text, uh, or or whatever. So Graham, what's the website details and how can people get in touch with you and find out more about what you do and how you help others deliver a great, memorable customer experience. Okay, so uh, my website is grahamharvey.com. That's G-R-A-H-A-M-H-A-R-V-E-Y.com. People can send me an email direct, which is simply graham at grahamharvey.com. And uh, my mobile number, feel free to take call any time of the day or night, uh, 0403-2629. Double eight. I repeat, Graham Harvey, zero four zero three two six two nine double eight, and I'm happy to send people uh, tons of testimonials from delighted clients, which is always uh, always good. Um, many of those are on my website as, as well, so I can help in any way, shape, or form. Just uh, give me a bell. So just wrapping this up, Graham. So what would be that last piece of advice you would have for someone still sitting on the fence of whether to invest the time and effort into customer experience or not? Is the realization when it comes to delivering a standout customer experience, there are no losers. The customer wins because they get to enjoy a great customer experience. The staff who are delivering it get to enjoy it because life becomes so much easier when you're dealing with uh, with happy people, when you're working with happy people. Management wins because they have less staff churn. They're dealing with happy people in a very happy um, business environment. And the business owners win because they get a higher return on their investment. There are no losers when it comes to delivering a standout customer experience. Uh, that's awesome. And in terms of the win-win situation there as well. Graham, really, really appreciate it. And I loved how you distilled the whole customer experience in the six senses and then it remains the same for be it a small to medium businesses or the big banks or the big corporates to the tiny individual solopreneur side of things so really appreciate giving that information in a very easy understanding format 
And hopefully people can take away from this that put some time out and invest in the customer experience. I know for sure the first thing I'm doing is putting up my mobile number on my website. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Graham. Thanks, Janice. Thanks for the opportunity. Been a pleasure. Thanks. I loved it when Graham said, the more you take care of your customers, the healthier your bottom line is. That makes a lot of sense to me. And as mentioned earlier, it is about taking the time and effort out of your normal business day-to-day activities and applying and thinking about what your customer is doing, how they come across you and what happens after they've done the transaction and the service you have to deal with them. There's a lot of nitty-gritty that you have to think of and that is what you should be doing. So take the time out of your business and map out your customer's journey and see where you can improve and where you can add value and as well as give that surprise element to that customer that's they're not expecting. So try that out. And also, if you're in Perth on the 6th of January, make sure you come along to our first networking event as part of the Key to Authority Club and also the celebration of 50th episode release. So check out the details on the show notes. And you can get the show notes at keytoauthority.com slash EP048. And also remember to check out Graham Harvey's book about all the questions you could ask to get your brain thinking about designing that excellent customer service and that memorable customer experience. Till we talk next, keep working on design an excellent customer experience. Thank you so much for listening to the Key to Authority podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share at www.keytoauthority.com. We'll see you next time.